And welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 75. And something very special this week for the 75th episode, as I have indicated before, I will be sharing with you this week an archival interview that I did with the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. This is going to be the first of a series that I'll be doing as we go along here of breaking out some interviews from my archives, from my years with WWE, from my other years interviewing wrestlers all throughout the wrestling business, some of them pretty big legends in the business, as I'm sure you'll agree that the dream certainly was and is. I'll be sharing that with you in a moment, Want to get to a little bit of some other information for you first. Would like to first mention that later this month, actually on July 29th, Saturday, July 29th, I'll be at the New England Fan Fest in Warwick, Rhode Island. I will be signing and selling copies of Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik. If you'd like to get a copy, if you'd like to just say hi, come on by Warwick, Rhode Island, New England Fan Fest, Saturday, July 29th. Believe me, there's going to be a lot more famous people there than me. So if you come, you are guaranteed to have a good time, especially if you're a wrestling fan. Hope to see you then. Also want to mention, on sale now, the brand new issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It's the October 2023 issue. It's got Seth Rollins and Trinity Fatu and CM Punk on the cover. And it has a couple of columns from yours truly on the inside. Namely, my tribute to superstar Billy Graham, which is part of my vintage column, The Way It Was. And I've also got a column in there celebrating the wrestling career of Adam Pierce, whom you may know now as the authority figure that WWE has on television, but who the old school wrestling fans like us may know had a long and illustrious career as an independent wrestler, particularly as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion in the uh, early 2000s. So I've got that column in there as well. You can get it now, either at your newsstand, if you can find one. It's carried at Barnes & Noble, Stop & Shop, Walmart, I believe, but also at pwi-online.com. That is the October 2023 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Now, let's get to the main event here, the main attraction. This is something that I've been meaning to do for a long time with this show. And after a nice conversation with Brian Last, the king of the Arcadian vanguard, I decided that it was time to pull the trigger. Now, for those of you that know, I worked for WWE for a number of years, and I did a lot of interviews with some of the great legends of wrestling and and even outside WWE. I've spoken to so many people over the years, and some of these interviews have never really seen the light of day. 
maybe a few snippets here and there get used in an article. Even if it's a Q&A article, you're not using the entire audio. You're not, you're not using any of the audio. In a lot of cases, you're just transcribing it. So some of these, I thought it was just a crime to have them sitting around, literally sitting around in my house collecting dust, uh, whether on my hard drive or on a disc or on a tape. So I thought the time had come to start unlocking some of these. This is one of my favorite ones. And I'm going to give a little background on this. This is an interview that I did with Dusty Rhodes on December 8th, 2006. Now, at that time, Dusty had recently returned to the company, not as a wrestler, but as part of the creative team. And so uh, he actually had an office on the fourth floor. He had an office at the TV studio. He worked uh, there with me, and he was also involved with OVW as well at the time. So just to give a little background as to how this interview happened, it was part of kind of the revamped WWE magazine at the time. Some of you may remember that around 2006, WWE magazine had a complete makeover. Uh, actually, Raw and SmackDown magazine went away, and it was this newly relaunched WWE magazine. It was a little bit less of a wrestling magazine, and more of a, a lifestyle magazine. A lot of the guys and gals that they had brought in to run this thing came from the world of men's lifestyle magazines, things like Maxim, Stuff, uh, even Rolling Stone, Men's Fitness, that kind of thing. And so there was a lot of uh, struggle going on in terms of what the tone and content of the magazine was going to be. I was one of the holdovers. I had already been there a number of years and I was the wrestling guy. I was the guy that had a lot of the contacts and knowledge of the product and, and the talent knew me and people. Uh, I had already established a reputation. And I kind of used my influence at the time to keep up the, the wrestling content of the magazine, to put things in there that actual wrestling fans would want to read and see, as opposed to, you know, how John Cena manscapes his body and and uh, kind of dumb things like that, that they would try to force into the magazine, not to go on a tirade about it, but they didn't always have the greatest respect for the wrestling business. I remember they they wanted to run an entire department in the magazine that would just make fun of the various costumes of wrestlers over the years. And they wanted to start with the fabulous ones whom they had found a picture of in the archives of Championship Wrestling from Florida, which we just acquired from Mike Graham. So needless to say, I tried to kind of keep the wrestling quotient of the magazine up. I pitched this interview with Dusty Rhodes. The reason I did is that Dusty had just made his in-ring comeback. For those of you that remember, at the time, he had just had a Survivor Series match teaming with Sergeant Slaughter and Ric Flair and Ron Simmons to take on the Spirit Squad at Survivor Series. And the week before that... He'd actually had a one-on-one -on -one match with Nikki of the Spirit Squad on Monday Night Raw, who we all now today know as Dolph Ziggler. These were the first WWE matches that Dusty had had in about 15 years. Even though he had been semi-active on the independent circuit for years prior to coming back to WWE, this was kind of a return to the big time for him, to the big stage. Um, he'd also been doing some TNA stuff in the years leading up to this. But I wanted to do an in-depth interview with him, and I got a chance to to talk to him for about a half hour. Uh, a few things I want to make note of in this interview. One is that you'll notice that 
the tone that Dusty takes in the interview, it was very common back then among some of the more old school wrestlers. You know, kayfabe had gone away, but some of the older guys had a hard time letting it go. And I, I believe to their credit, and they weren't in, always entirely comfortable completely breaking kayfabe. So it's a tone that I like to call kayfabe light. And you'll notice that as the interview goes along, that um, he's sort of breaking, but not completely breaking and still trying to keep the mystique alive. I also want to make note of an important thing for me. You may not care about this, but I care about this since it's me and my body of work. We all, when we look back on things we've done in the past, we may sometimes judge ourselves harshly and think, well, I wouldn't have done it this way. I wouldn't have done it that way. I might have done it a different way. And I certainly have those reactions when I listen to those interviews, interviews like this one. You know, I was in my early 30s when I did this interview. And, uh, you know, if I did it today, I would probably take a more serious tone. You have to remember, as I said, they were trying to turn this into a men's lifestyle magazine. And so, uh, some of the questions and content were kind of being forced on me, and I tried to keep it respectful. It does get a little bit douchey at times, if I may criticize myself. I am aware of that. These are not all the same kind of questions I would ask if I were doing the interview today and if Dusty were still with us today. So I, I know I may be a harsh critic of myself, but I wanted to note that that this was at a time when the magazine was in flux. You know, they wanted to have a men's lifestyle type of interview. I wanted to have a wrestling magazine interview. They wanted it to be a Maxim interview. You know, I wanted to do a, a PWI hot seat style of interview. And uh, therefore, this is what we have. I was also doing these interviews that I would do would be done a lot of them on a speakerphone at a time when I did not even have my own office. I was at a cubicle uh, without even any walls. So it was kind of an, a newsroom setup with everybody around me. So you might think that I, my voice is a little subdued and uh, I'm, I'm a little timid in some of my questions and the way that I address Dusty in the interview. And that is because I was surrounded by everybody watching and listening to me do this. So it tends to make you a little self-conscious. Also, of course, it goes without saying, the quality of the audio is not quite up to snuff of what we would put out there today as part of the Arcadian Vanguard. This interview was done on a digital hand recorder with a speakerphone in 2006. So as you can imagine, it's a little bit rougher than what we have today, but I still think it's worth your while. So again, this clip that we're going into now, it has Dusty talking about his comeback to the ring. And you'll notice that he also makes mention of when talking about his career, I found very interesting that he was very clear to point out that the NWA World Heavyweight title was the thing that he was the most proud of. And he makes a distinction between that title and as he describes a regional title, such as the one that the WWF World Championship was. So it kind of undermines a little bit of the storyline that WWE has been putting out there. But uh, again, this is from the man's own lips himself, his opinions of wrestling at the time and the difference between the NWA world title and the WWF world title. So I'm going to take you to this first clip of the interview right now. I will be breaking in here and there to give a little more explanation and context. 
But uh, I hope you enjoy it, and let's uh, let's get down to business. Uh, do you mind if I record? No, I don't. Great. Go ahead. Okay. So, first of all, uh, what did it feel like for you to step back in the ring again this year on Raw? Uh, you know, I you know I told Stephanie McMahon uh, in a private conversation that uh, it was a big deal for me. And a few people knew that, uh, being able to go from decade to decade to decade. You know, it's a decade, and and uh, I even got a little nervous, and but I always get nervous, no matter what, when I go on or what I do. And it was really cool. It was, a, it was a, a great opportunity, and I really appreciated WWE for giving me that opportunity to do that. It did some... Uh, a good number while while I was on and uh, contributed, and that's what it's all about. But it was uh, well received, and uh, I was a little sore. You know, my body's going 23 year old miles an hour, and my mm-hmm. my uh, I mean, my mind is, and my body's going at about uh, 58, 59 years old. So right. it's quite a difference, but it was cool. I really enjoyed it. It's a big deal for me. It really was. Did you have any concerns going into it? Oh uh, no, not not any concerns about uh, me whipping his ass. <laughs> or me being uh, the only thing that I really felt that uh, we had the Florida vote on the Cyber Sunday. I'm sure that 70 to 80 percent of the country actually voted me in, but I think it was kind of the Florida uh, tongue-in-cheek, the Florida vote of the presidential <laughs> deal there that uh, the Florida that, made uh, a difference again. Yeah, that swayed, yeah, that, swayed that uh, you know. But uh, anyway, I had a lot of fun during that. You know, probably the most fun I've had there in the year and a half going on that I've been back with WWE. You know, the uh, you know my family there. It's been cool. Of course. Okay, let's talk a little bit about your career. And obviously, you're a legend in this business. Um, and when when you were starting out, I mean, uh, your your look is different. Was always different, obviously, from the traditional wrestler's look. I mean, did you ever? I mean, to what do you attribute the success that you've had in the business? You know, without well, doctor, without having that kind of Adonis yeah. physique, you know. Yeah, well, it's it, you don't need that. I mean, it's a story. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a true story where I was raised and son of a plumber and uh, the common man and uh, reaching for the American dream. It's not, it, it can't be any. It was not a scripted uh, career. Uh, they believed in what I said. They knew sooner or later I was going to kick somebody's ass. Even though I was getting my kicked for a period of time, it was the old, uh, uh, you know, it was the old adage that uh, I was one of them. They accepted me that, uh, accepted me at, at at being who I was and the way I looked, and uh, I was comfortable with it. Hell, I went naked with a pair of little uh, underwear on for you know thirty eight years. So, yeah, you weren't uh, trying to hide anything, you know. No, no, and uh, I felt good though. And uh, there were times where I had to, due to a uh, some. Uh, infections in my legs, my lower legs, that I had to go on these strict things, and I'd get down to, I've actually been at 250, 255 during that era, you know, in the early 80s, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't, uh, I, it's not the way, the way you look, it's, uh, you know, you go ahead and look at, uh, you know, John Wayne, my all-time hero in life, uh, you know, as far as the movies and stuff go, and, you know, finding out that he wore a toupee uh, wig was, uh, Mm. You know, it didn't sway me none. It was just the way it was, the way it presented itself, like no other. It's, it's not like kind of, uh, egotistically that I, I don't look at myself as an icon or a legend. I look at myself like uh, you would look at a Willie Nelson or something as a national treasure, and I really do, and that's the way I was back then, and that's what brought me through. 
Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, the idea of it is a national treasure. Not a legend, not icon. It transcends what our industry was all about. So whether that's, I'm sure it's egotistically sounding, but that's the way I look at it. So I, that drove me is what I'm saying. Right, right. Now, 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 you went on to become world champion in in an era where you know most of the world champions, like I'm, you know, like we were talking about, didn't really look like you or didn't really didn't carry themselves the way you did. It was it was pretty different for the time. Did you ever imagine mm-hmm. that you would one day be the world champion? Uh, yeah, that's uh, if you go into our industry back then to where it was the considered a hey, the real deal, you know, or. Mm-hmm. There was only one NWA world champion, and that was a major belt. Everything else was regional. And I'm just speaking from the way it was, not the way I felt about it, you know. But uh, the way it was, that was a big deal, man. And for the committee uh, and Sam Mushnick and the old NWA uh, oldies and everything, to take a guy that was like me, that talked like me, that, that, uh, you know, take this guy and uh, became world champion. That was a big deal. It, it changed our industry and the way you look at it because as we moved on, here comes a guy with a really freakish body. I'm a freakish body. Now let's go the other end of the freakish body, six foot eight, yellow and red outfit, headband. You know what I mean? Right, right. And he became world champion. So it set the table to say everybody don't have to look like the legendary Luthes. You know what I mean? Right. Everybody didn't have to be like that. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it's what was selling. So it was a great time for me. Okay, so now I'm going to be getting to the part that was quoted recently on the drive-thru with Jim Cornette and Brian Last. Some of you may have heard uh, where I asked Dusty the bleeding question. And this is a prime example of what I was talking about before, the kind of questions that I would not ask as an interviewer today. But again, I was being kind of pressured by the lad magazine types that were surrounding me at the time and thought that wrestling was good for a, for a laugh and not much more. And they were pressuring me to ask the kind of silly questions that I was not comfortable asking, but I did have to make some concessions. So I want to say that, that this is certainly not the way I would be framing in the interview today, but I thought that Dusty took it in stride and he handled it really well. And he actually gave a pretty amusing response to an interviewer that he was maybe starting to get a little annoyed with. If you keep listening to this segment of the interview that I'm going to play next, he also goes into some interesting detail on his opinions about the polka dot era of Dusty Rhodes when he came back to the WWF at the end of the 80s and what he thought of that. And he talks a little bit about Goldust as well. I asked him what he thought about Dustin taking on the Goldust persona, and he gives his view of that, among other things. So let's get to that part right now. Well, something else that you've been known for through your career, uh, obviously, we'd be leaving that if we didn't talk about it, is you're definitely one of the most famous bleeders in the history of wrestling. I mean, did you just wake up one morning and and decide that you were just going to be the greatest bleeder in the history of the business? How did that happen? Uh, By getting hit in the head more than anybody (laughs) else in our business. That's the the only way you become a bleeder. It's like fighters, Chuck Webner and them guys. I mean, you get hit in the head. I was in many vicious battles. 
No, that, that's a ridiculous and stupid question. Uh, to say I woke up one morning and said I'm going to become one of the bleeders. I think during that era of the, you know, the mid from the mid '80s on back to when I started in '70. You know what I mean? The '69. Right. That was an era of realness, and there was an era of uh, old timers and and different things that happened. It wasn't uh, it wasn't just uh, so I woke up and said I'm going to be a bleeder. Right. I right. should have ducked. I should have ducked a lot more and dodged a lot more. Let me put it like that. That's probably Other than true. that, you know, that's uh, that's what happened in that case. But, uh, no, a lot of pain, blues, and agony. Laid on my noggin. <laughs> so these days, I mean, it's like, would, would a strong breeze be enough to, to bust you open? I think if I was to, no, no, I don't think so. I think I'm hard-headed. <laughs> Yeah, strong. Yeah, but but that's the way it was because it was every night. Sure. So it was very easy if you bled on Monday night. Obviously, uh, somebody just tapped it, like you just said, not right. a strong breeze, but right. buddy, it would be a gusher. But anyway, okay. Now, it sold tickets, buddy. It, it certainly did, didn't it? <laughs> uh, that's what it's all about. Blood equals green, right? Uh, red equals green. But um, yeah, what I was going to ask is, uh, when you came back here um, in the in the late '80s, and uh, you had the polka dot outfit and all that, I mean, how did you feel about that? Because there have always been stories that you weren't happy with it, or that it was sort of like uh, that your fans weren't happy with it. I mean, how did you personally oh, fan, feel about it? My fans, yeah, my fans weren't happy with it. Right. Uh, and still to this day, the uh, millions and millions of fans still regard it as a. Uh, unhappy time because it wasn't, you know, kind of goes back to that body that I'm in. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter what I wore. No matter whatever changes tried to be made, I just still, it still became, uh, I was the American Dream, Dusty Rose, the plumber's son fighting for, you know, fighting for the underdog. I mean, I was one of them. So it didn't, it, it seems to bother everybody else more than it really bothered me. Right. So I went to the pay window, you know, every Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So. And that's uh, you know it was it, that's what it was about. So of course, absolutely, it's a great opportunity to to uh, kind of get out of that that thing, you know, whatever it was that I was in, and all, all the back back behind the scenes stuff that I was doing, and you know, it was just put to me like, hey man, just come here and you know, relax, have a good time, put all that other stuff behind you, and that's what it did, and it it turned into success for. Both the uh, both the company and myself. So it bothered other people a lot more than it bothered me. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, now, for readers who may not be familiar, could you please explain clubbering? The 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 readers that that know Dusty Rhodes, if they don't know what clubbering is, they've never busted a busted a knuckle on their wife. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm only kidding about that. That <laughs> in there. Clubbering is clubbering is is. is Clubbering is is more than one fist on a guy on a beatdown. Usually, it's done by tag teams. Mm -hmm. So it would be four fists on one guy. Four fists. So if you got a guy in the corner and these four fists are flying, two from each guy, that's clubbering. If you hit the guy once, bam, bam, and the other your tag partner's hitting with one hand, that ain't clubbering. But when it's an all-out clubbering, it's all four fists. Going like pistons, so somebody's knocking at the same time. That's what clubbering is. Got it. Okay. Um, let's talk briefly about Dustin. How did you feel when he came here and became Gold Dust? Oh, I thought it was tremendous. I thought it was. Uh, I thought. I thought at that time it changed the business. What you did. Uh, it changed. 
another change came in the business, and it, and it was more open and more risque and more, you know, Dennis Rodman tried to copy him after that for a long time, and that's mm. true. That's a true deal. You know, I mean, he just kind of opened the door to say nothing is really sacred, you know. And plus, the athlete that he was in the ring is still today is not, not really matched by many. So he had that quality. But he took that and made it his own and made it part of him. And uh, the transition, that's what I was most proud of him at. And he just did a, uh, you know, he was the guy that drives a pickup truck, goes deer hunting with me, chews tobacco, you know what I mean, and spits uh, tobacco and, you know, wears the cowboy boots. And within an hour and two, he can transform himself into this character Goldust, which was an amazing, amazing feat. Certainly. And when it was first brought on the scene, it was awesome, unbelievable. It got watered down as it went along. Got traded on as it went along, but uh, I was proud of him for it. I thought it was cool. So I hope you're enjoying the interview so far, and I'm sure you can kind of hear the give and take that I've been talking about of trying to balance these two interests and serve these two masters, wanting to do a serious interview with a pro wrestling legend and also having to kind of make it snappy snarky and entertaining for my bosses at WWE Magazine. I think I did a pretty good job of balancing things. I was very keenly aware at the time that I was speaking to an all-time legend, and I was thrilled, actually, that he had come to work for the company because I always tried in every way that I could, even in the years up leading up to this when I worked there, to include Dusty Rhodes in things in the magazine. You know, this was after WCW had gone under, and I was trying to make mention of him in articles. In fact, I had even reached out to him once or twice over the years for quotes for stories in the magazine, even before he came back to work there. So this was a very exciting kind of dream project for me. So as I hope is coming through here, I really tried to make the most of this opportunity. Now, in the segment that you're about to hear, I try to kind of plug in some more of those questions, things that I have been fascinated by, things that I wanted to know more about. Uh, In this particular clip, he gets into the origins of the bionic elbow. He talks about his upbringing, which I thought was very powerful. He talked about his relationship with his dad, the, the legendary, as he describes, the iconic plumber, Virgil Reynolds Sr., He talks about being the son of a plumber, and I even get him to address the famous Dusty Rhodes birthmark, and I don't believe that I've ever heard him speak about it anywhere else, but you're going to hear it here, right here, folks, in this archival interview with Dusty Rhodes on Shut Up and Wrestle. So let's take you to this clip right now. Um, now, the bionic elbow. Now, what, yeah. what is uh, bionic about the elbow? Well, I'll give, you a little, I'll give you a little insight a lot of people don't know. Is that uh, the $6 million man was bionic way back. And some of the mm-hmm. kids that probably have never seen that series or not even heard of it, some of the kids nowadays. But there was a TV series with Lee Majors called you know, The uh, $6 Million Man, and he was all back put together bionically. And I remember talking to one of my brothers. I'm talking about my street brothers. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting on the hood of my El Dorado Cadillac at Bexley's Ribs in Tampa, Florida, at 3 a.m. in the morning eating ribs. And some of my 
brothers were around me there from the street, and one of them piped up and said, man, that elbow you got, man, it must be like that $6 million, man, it must be operated, it must be bionic, just like that. The <laughs> very next day, which was Wednesday, we did TV in Tampa, Florida, with God and Soli, and it came out of my mouth that my elbow was bionic. I had just flew back from Indonesia where I had a doctor work on it, put bionics in it, and for the rest of my life it stuck. So there you go. That's the true story of how it came about. Never knew that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, you mentioned earlier, and as, as most people know who know you, that you are the, famously the son of a plumber. Um, yeah. now, what, what was that like? What was it like growing up? Just, uh, you know, and, uh, and, uh, my book ca- captured it, you know, pretty well. It came out a year and a half ago, you know, the reflection of the American dream. Dusty Rose don't sell everywhere. My DVDs don't sell everywhere. Mm-hmm. My dolls don't sell everywhere. Just get all that in. But uh, DustyRoseWrestling.com, you can find out all about me. Anyway, the, uh, the, the, uh, what was your question? <laughs> you got lost in all the plugs. Didn't yeah, I know what I'm trying to public. You know, you got to push your shit. What? Yeah, of course. What? Well, speaking of that, I mean, being being the son of a plumber, you know, yeah, I'm no, wondering if it, you know if any any problems. No, none of it got on me. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it did, but uh, it was uh, it was a, a pretty you know I had a uh, a, de- a late disease called osteomyelitis, as, as a lot of people knew, in seven eight years old, uh, which was kind of like uh, we thought it was polio, but it wasn't that bad, and uh, and uh, you know, I had bone on bone and probably would never play sports or do a lot of stuff and growing up in Austin. And I remember that right after it it had been diagnosed and everything, I had already started working before that on the plumbing truck with my dad. Mm-hmm. And I would go in the morning in Texas in the hot and get the ice for the deal. And so I had been out in the field running a jackhammer and digging a ditch from the time I can remember. And, uh, and I had had uh, been around a, a young man at that time, middle-aged guy named T.C. Lee, who was a, a ditch digger just like I was and lay pipe and, you know, in the ground and all them things like that. And I worked with him a lot, and he was a, he was a black man. And uh, it's kind of like Hank Williams, I think, the late Hank Williams going and learning his music from the blues and going into the black clubs down there and and... and kind of learning what the soul of America was all about, and I learned that from him. So that that son of the plumber thing came to the way I portrayed myself, the way I talked, and what I had learned from being around of uh, me and the rest of the ditch diggers and just uh, digging holes and laying pipe, not laying pipe like you're thinking about, but laying actual pipe. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and plumbing pipe. Right, and, uh, of course. You know, so, uh, so that was, you know, it was pretty cool. It was a great... It was a great uh, education growing up and uh, not a lot of money and uh, wasn't a union plumber just uh you know every friday get the paycheck go to the wrestling uh you know go arkeith's grill and eat in austin and growing up in texas you can tell a texan but you can't tell him much <laughs> well i mean just having a plumber around did that mean that any any yeah. problems at home any any backups or anything would be taken no, no, care no, i was a plum- i was a son of a plumber right but i mean he, he was, was the- you know virgil was the best i right. mean he was the best plumber he he was an iconic plumber, okay, mm-hmm. and you know God rest his soul. But my my dad was, and 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 he was Indian, and he was from Ada, Oklahoma, Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, and uh, my mom was German. 
so that heritage of, of both was was you know really something. But I say son of a plumber, that means I was outside covering up the ditch or digging the ditch mm-hmm. or bringing things in. It wasn't that I had the knowledge of fixing a bathroom when it flooded. But he did. When a toilet, oh, he could do that. But when a toilet when a toilet would overflow, I either go get the plunger or call him. You know what I mean? Because I didn't know jack shit about you know a roughing in a uh, a roughing a house in which uh, you know there's some great stories. I'm I'm writing currently writing a new book about oh. uh, the, not about wrestling so much as some of the things we're talking about that people are really interested in in a sure. realistic way of how this happened. How did I become this, uh, think I am this person, this, you know, that I am and, and right. how you grew up and stuff. So anyway. Well, one other thing I wanted to ask you, we were talking about how, you know, you were you were never afraid to have to cover up when you went out there. You know, you were never self-conscious about the way you looked and you weren't one of these guys that was covering up with a big shirt or anything like that. You weren't hiding anything. And one thing that a lot of people always noticed, and I know a lot, a lot of fans always wondered about, was... The birthmark. Yes. I was wondering if you could yeah. tell us about that. Well, I don't know how it got there, man. I mean, I wasn't around when it got there. I guess <laughs> when I popped out, you know, I mean, it was just there. It's a, it's a birthmark. Uh, you know, people have smaller ones and bigger ones. Mine, I've seen them on people's faces, you know mm. what I mean? But uh, mine is there, and it's uh, it's kind of a trademark. It's like when we go to do, you know, the marketing people get with me about doing dolls and stuff, and we're turning out new stuff daily with WWE, which I'm very thankful for. Mm-hmm. But uh, when they leave the, they will leave the birthmark on of some of these dolls, leave it off, and people will call me mm-hmm. or I'll see them, and they'll they'll pop. They don't want it. Absolutely, we've had situations. They want the, they want the birthmark. You know what I mean? Yeah, we've had situations where, you know, we'd be running a photo of you in the magazine, and yeah. normally our yeah. our printers will kind of clean up any blemishes and things, and we'll have to instruct yeah. them to leave it. Yeah, they you know, I mean, it's people just, expect uh, it. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's just part of the way I talk, part of my list, mm-hmm. part of, you know, it's just part of me. It's, it's You don't want to change. I don't want to see, I don't want, I don't want to buy a dollar, see a no picture. I have a great collection of real pictures, signed pictures, and autographs of, of Mantle, Mickey Mantle, and John Wayne. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to see a picture of John Wayne in the real Lobo outfit, the movie Real Lobo, or Red River standing there with his shaps and everything on without his headpiece. What the hell would that look like? My God, I don't want to see that. Here's a doll of a bald-headed John Wayne. That's a bunch of crap. Now, um, going into this final segment here that I'm going to play for you, the closing minutes of my interview with Dusty Rhodes, what I wanted to point out is a few things. First of all, you'll hear that as this part of it begins, we're going into kind of a speed round of questions. You know, again, keep in mind, this is meant to be partly a lifestyle interview. So I'm asking Dusty, which is funny to me at the time, it seemed like kind of banal, trivial things like, what are your favorite movies? What foods do you like to eat? those kind of lighthearted, quick questions. But it turned into now with him being gone and him being such a legend and so many years being passed, I still find stuff like this fascinating, providing a window into this very unique wrestling personality of the past, little bits of information, things that he liked and didn't like. I find fascinating. I hope you do too. Also, as we go along here, pay close attention because when he's addressing his children and how proud he is of them, he talks a little bit about Cody. He mentions Cody Rhodes, who at the time was, I believe, about 21 years old, just getting started. In fact, I think that he had just a few months before this 
tag teamed with Cody in a match on an OVW card, which I think was the only time that they ever had a match together. So I just think it's very poignant in light of everything that's happened since then and where we are right now with the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes, and the wrestling business and his position in it. I think it's very poignant to hear some of Dusty's thoughts about his youngest son in this interview. He also goes on to talk about his great friend, the late Dick Murdoch, and what he meant to him, which I thought was very valuable, and I'm glad that I captured that on the recording as well. You'll notice that he also seems to be getting a little bit tired of my questions as we get towards the end here. He's clearly trying to get me off the phone finally. He's given me a half hour of his time, but I soldier on as the plucky wrestling journalist that I was at the time to get all my questions answered. And I want to make note at the very end of this, towards the end, when he's talking about who he would like to see play him in a in a movie about the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, which I wish they would make, he mentions an actor named Brian Dunleavy. And I think he actually misspoke here because uh, Brian Dunleavy was an actor from the 40s who uh, kind of a leading man actor who looked nothing like Dusty at all. And, you know, in what was long dead at the time of this interview, I think my gut feeling is that he was talking about Brian Dennehy. I think that's who he meant here. Not Brian Dunleavy, but Brian Dennehy, who I think would actually have played. He's also gone now, too. But I think he actually would have played a very convincing older Dusty Rhodes. I also think it's it's very uh, amusing when Dusty starts to compare himself to Marlon Brando. You can make of that what you will. But I will take you to the final segment of my interview with Dusty Rhodes right now. So, so anyway. Yeah, the last thing I wanted to go through with you, yeah. and then I'll let you go. I know you're busy. I had a, a bunch of a quick questions, like a, kind of a speed round I wanted to go through with you. So okay. all, all you have to do is just kind of give me the first answer that comes to your head. Um, if you can, first, I'd like to know what's your guilty pleasure, something that would embarrass you to admit. Oh, God, that ain't speedy. You're making me think. <laughs> you're one for, you know, we something, back something, to embar- something embarrassing. Uh, for me to for me to admit, yeah, about the dream. Uh, God, that that wouldn't be embarrassing. Go to the next one. I'll come okay. back to that one. Oh, right. That's a pretty good one. I want to think of sure. that. Sure. What's your favorite common man food? What's the best common man food? Uh, chicken fried steak. Mexican food from South Texas. Really, really good Mexican food. Chicken fried steak from Texas. Uh, with a white cream gravy. You know, mm-hmm. and venison, dear venison, love sure. venison. Okay, and uh, give me a a movie that really just blew you away. I love I loved uh, the Apostle with Robert Duvall. Ah, oh, yeah, that's a good, that's a great one. Because I grew up in the era, uh, and Lonesome Dove blew me away. I, I I play it once a week when I'm home, at least. What I've seen it, I don't know how many times I've seen it. Augustus McCray, my one of my dogs is named after Texas Ranger Augustus McCray, but Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove is. You know, and anything by John Wayne. I got 200, 200 uh, movies and DVDs of John Wayne, so I need 260 to have them all. Wow. All right, and what about music that really gets you going? Anything by Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I uh, grew up in Texas, and he's taken me down the road so many times. Uh, Kid Rock, more current. Okay. Stuff like Bobby Seeger and, and Bobby, Bobby D., Bob Dylan. I mean... 
So uh, it very it varies too, but it's uh, most guys are from you know from my era. But uh, sure. I really really uh, you know are in, into them guys. I love Kid Rock a lot. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, what's the last thing that made the dream cry? Uh, last night. Uh, and I cry. I cry the drop of a hat. Hmm. Anything my children do. From Kristen, who was a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader, uh, my oldest daughter, uh, Teal, an actress. Cody's now at OBW for us, 20 years old, going to be a great superstar. Him winning the state title two years in a row, amateur wrestling in high school, mm -hmm. undefeated. Uh, seeing my wife, you know, get out of the car. Well, last what? night watching a kid uh, on ESPN, uh, the football awards, that had no eyes, was crippled, could play the piano in the band. I'm watching this at home. When they introduced him, gave him this special award, he came out, he's at the University of Louisville, and everybody stood up like there's, you know, like they, sometimes they have hardly do it or they expect it, but everybody did st stand up. And I stood up in my living room, and I fucking bawled like a baby. I'm very emotional, very attached to my family. God's greatest gift to a parent is their children. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing thing. That side of me, I think, that people really find out how really emotional I am about America and about, you know, my, my children. Uh, and I'm very selfish because I feel I, I keep myself completely away from the outside world after being with it for, you know, being in it so long, so many fans. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could isolate myself just to my family, and that may, might be selfish, but... No. I don't care about anything else. That's that's what I care about most. So I cry at the drop of a hat. I mean, good story, good movie, you know, stuff like that. Sure. Watching the flare. Oh yeah. Sometimes I get a tear just watching him saying, because I just did it a couple weeks ago, and it nearly killed me, because I spent 360 days on the road for mm -hmm. all them years. I'm broken down. My body is broke down. We're pretty close to the same age. Yeah. But I just, it was uh, kill me physically. It was. It took me two weeks up till now. I'm still hurting from it. But to watch him do that Every at week. this age mm. is the most amazing thing I think an athlete has ever done. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm talking about home run hitter. This is an amazing thing, and we we take it for granted. And unless you've been in there and taken and done that thing for 300 days a, a year, like we did in the middle and older days, it's sure. an amazing thing to watch. I just stand there and I just marvel uh, in in watching this. Uh, you know? Yeah. But stuff like that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, can, I can cry easy. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. uh, and I think that would be the most thing that I would not want anybody to know. Ah, no, okay. I don't care if they know, but how really quiet and uh, kind of, what's the word, uh, you know, where you're, I love being alone okay. uh, or with my family. And, and I think portraying this outgoing Booker, head of the company, the American dream, national treasure is all crap, man, because I think I would, I don't want him to know that deep down that, uh, that I'm just, uh, I'm a common man, you know what I mean? Sure. And that's, that's really all I am. And, uh, you know, just want to go back to Texas before I have to go in a pine box someday. That's all I'm looking to, you okay. know, so go back home. But that's cool stuff. All right. Which uh, wrestler do you miss the most? Would you? Wrestler. Uh, oh, Murdoch. I, I couldn't hear you. I didn't know what. No, no, I'm yeah. sorry. 
My partner, Dick Murdoch, a lot, and the fans, the young fans nowadays, they did, they have never seen him except on maybe a DVD picked up here or there. But he was my brother from the on the road. He was my closest friend. He was, uh, we grew up together in the industry in 1969. We traveled, lived together 360 days a year, like I said, maybe go home on Christmas Day. And I miss him most of all as a as a friend, as a as a wrestler, as a person. You know, I mean, he's. I just really I wish that people had the opportunity to see him at his best because there was nobody in the ring when he wanted to be any better than Hard Richard Murdoch. Dickie Murdoch was the very best that our business uh, has ever seen in the ring. That's the way I feel about it. Okay, but. Yeah, him. That's it. Okay. Yeah, I'm almost crying. They're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I hear that. Eh? Sorry yeah, about I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, I'm an I think people finding out how emotional and real I really am instead of the facade sometimes that's portrayed in the public. I mean, that side. Other, mm. Some people don't let their guards down ever. Right. And I, I give them credit for that and take my hat. Vince McMahon is one. Sure. It's okay to be emotional for me. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I'll let mine down sometime, and I think it's a, I think it's a, a trait that, uh, a God-given trait that I'm really glad that I'm able to do that. Yeah. You know, instead of, uh, you know, just being this, fuck, I'm the American dream. Y'all aren't. You know, it's bullshit. <laughs> so now it turned into a serious deal. It certainly did. Okay. Uh, Anything else, buddy? Yeah, I have a couple more. Uh, let's say they okay. made uh, the American dream the movie. Who plays you? Oh, I think Brian uh, Brian Dan, uh, Dan Levy, you know, okay, would be well, you know, when he was there, I would love to see a, a thinner because he's way bigger than I am, but a right. thinner John Goodman. John Goodman, okay. Yeah, he played Babe Ruth. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure. Who is another icon of me? Uh, you know, something like that uh, would probably play me. Sure. Uh, right now, I play yeah. myself as I'm an older guy. Sure. I think me and Brando's traits as he got older. Uh, you know, when I have the longer hair, mm. uh, I look alike. I look alike. So uh, you know, but uh, yeah, you know, okay. a younger. If it, was a, if it was somebody really younger, right? It would be hard to pick. You know, so I don't know. But oh, those, are, there, good, those yeah. are good choices. Um, yeah. What's What's your pet peeve? Because of the way my business is. Mm-hmm. To where the flim flam sometimes outweighs the truth. I think uh, being truthful, not so much on the outside, but to myself inside to where maybe somebody says, oh, that's bullshit, I don't know, but at least I know. So being truthful to myself inside, I think, is, is a pet peeve. And being on time, I hate not being on time. Mm, okay. Now, let's say that WWE went away and it wasn't a, the business didn't exist anymore. What would happen mm-hmm. then? To you, uh, what would you do? Oh, I'd, be, I'd do what I do every day. I mean, I'm just I'm selling the product. The product is Dusty Rose, the American Dream. He's older. Uh, you know, I do car commercials. I do uh, talks. I, I, you know, each year my foundation for uh, muscular dystrophy in Panama City. We do a big thing every year. The Dusty Rhodes uh, uh, Karaoke Idol. Uh, my sister heads that thing, Connie. And uh, we draw, we we raise a tremendous money for muscular dystrophy on this whole month long karaoke idol deal, and and 
nobody knows about it but muscular dystrophy, and I don't want anybody to know about it. I mean, you know, as far as, oh, boy, this guy's a big fundraiser and stuff. It's something that I really feel strongly about for a personal reason. And uh, so we do stuff like that. I get off on stuff like that, you know. Okay. And I would do I would do stuff like that. Uh, I would have a small territory, probably like the old days, you know, where my company, Turnbuckle Entertainment, we did the little wrestling shows and and train kids, you know. Or I would do something in the movies. I mean, you you play older people in the movies. So there's always I never wake up in the morning that I don't think I'm going to make a million dollars. I never let myself wake up and say. I'm not going to be successful today. I feel so down. I can't get out of bed, and I'm not going to do something. So I'm going to hunt. I'm going to do all these things until they take me home. You know. So okay. It's uh, I'm glad for WWE, and I'm having fun. That it becomes very hard at my age sometimes, but uh, you know I love uh, I love being part of that family. But if it's not here, I'm pitching a tent, becoming an evangelist. Is that <laughs> I could definitely see you doing that. Yeah. Uh, one more thing I got for you, and I'll let you go. If you could just, fin- if you could finish this sentence, no yeah. self-respecting guy should what? Ever wear polka dots. <laughs> Perfect. All right. All right. That's all I got. Very cool. All right, Dream. Thanks a lot for all your right, time. Buddy, you out. Thank right. you, bud. Bye. Right. Take care. There you have it, folks. From the archives, my 2006 interview with the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. I hope you found that enlightening. I hope it was a trip back into wrestling memory lane for you. It was certainly a trip for me to listen to it again. I hadn't listened to it in years. A lot of these have sort of been locked away, and I just don't really touch them or think about them. And then you go back into them and you realize what you know what kind of treasures you have and i'm going to keep doing this as we go forward there's going to be more of these sprinkled throughout the episodes not all the time but but sometimes because i have great ones i have uh, you know people like bruno sammartino roddy piper uh rick flair john cena you name it i've got clips and howard finkel so many come to mind that I would like to be able to share with you, many of whom, as I, as you can see here, are people that are no longer with us. So that will be coming as we go along, as we move forward down the road here at Shut Up and Wrestle. But next week, it's getting a little bit back to what we're most known for here, which are current interviews. And this is one that has been a long time coming, somebody that I worked with for years, who was kind of just waiting for the right moment to be able to get on the show, and he is John Giamundo, who was for years the lead photographer for WWE, known within the company and the business at the time as Johnny Photo. Johnny Photo coming up, episode 76 next week. Some more coming down the pike. If you keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle, as I've said, we have Megan Baker Kelly, the daughter of Ox Baker, on the way, as well as, follow the theme here, Kurt Beyer, the son of Dick Beyer, better known as the Intelligent Sensational Destroyer. They are just among the names of the people that I'm working on for future episodes of this show. So please keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle. You can go to our website, suawpod.com. You may have recently seen the review of this show on Cage Side Seats. I want to thank M. Gomez for that interview. And as we mentioned in the interview and the story that he did, 
Uh, the one place where you can find all the episodes of the show is at the website, suawpod.com. In addition to that, if you're looking for you know the past year's worth of episodes, you can go to all the usual places, Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict. You will find Shut Up and Wrestle. You can also join the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon for all the updates and extra media and little bits and pieces to help you enjoy and appreciate the show even more. We are a thousand members strong and getting stronger all the time. So join us. Shut up and wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. You can also listen to me as the co-host of the PWI podcast with Al Castle, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast, which you can find, again, wherever you find podcasts. If you're interested in picking up my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, you can go to Amazon, you can go to Barnes & Noble. It is available in print form, digital form, and audio form. Also want to make mention of the Superheroes book. I know it's not wrestling-related, but my brand-new book, Superheroes, the history of a pop culture phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro. I have a very select number of copies my own personal copies, which I will be signing and selling. If anyone is interested in buying a signed copy of Superheroes, you can reach out to me at my email address, brianrsolomon at yahoo.com, or you can get me on Facebook and Instagram. I can be found there at brianrsolomon or through the Facebook page. There's so many ways that you can reach me. Just reach out if you want a copy of the book, and we'll talk about it. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'll mention it again. I will be at the New England Fan Fest in Warwick, Rhode Island, Saturday, July 29th, signing copies of Blood and Fire, if you want to come down. I also must mention the wrestling news from Arcadian Vanguard. TheWrestlingNews.com is where you'll find it, as well as on the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page. It is your daily morning update on all the breaking news in the world of wrestling. I'm proud to be a part of it, so please do check it out. The magazines that I write for at the top of the show, I mentioned Pro Wrestling Illustrated. You can get it at pwi-online.com. There's also Inside the Ropes Magazine, which you can get at insidetheropesmagazine.com. And if you happen to be looking for me, in addition to the Twitter and Instagram locations that I mentioned earlier on social media, you can also find me on Facebook at Brian Solomon Writer. That is my author page on Facebook. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that I have wined and dined with kings and queens and I've laid in the alley eating pork and beans. So long, wrestling fans. 